I think with the way technology is evolving, there's going to be less and less jobs out there. I think we're moving to an investor-based society in the next 15 to 20 years. And I think the best way to invest is to own your own business and control the cash flow. So you always have money coming. Whatever your trade is, you should be good at your trade. And then operationally, you need to be a little bit thick in the skin because shit happens when you're in business. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, onto the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. So happy to have you along for the ride today. Got a special treat today to kick off 2024. Got two folks in the studio today. So let me introduce you to Matthew Mead and Lou Rosabianca. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Scott. We appreciate it. Lou, great to have you here as well. Uh, it is an honor. Yeah. So, Lou, are you in New York? Is that right? I am in New York. Yes. A- and Matt, you're calling us from in calling him from lovely state of Florida. Do I have that right? That that is absolutely right. I got out of New Beautiful. York real quick. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we like to just let everyone know where we've got folks. You know, this this worldwide audience we're building here for grow your damn business. So, you know, let, let everyone check in from where they are. So, Matt, I'm just gonna just start with you, uh, CEO and founder of Shield Advisory Group. But just love to. Get a little bit of your story. I had a chance to, to check up on you a little bit. It's a pretty compelling and amazing story and in, in your journey to where you are today. So can you just compact your your story uh, of your life into like a minute? Just let everyone know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, like most entrepreneurs, I was never the best in school, right? Academics were never really held to a high standard in my household. My parents were both blue-collar workers. Um, I barely graduated high school. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Pulled an ad out of a newspaper and wound up working on Wall Street. Spent 17 years on Wall Street. In right. 2015, I left. My partners bought me out. At that time, we actually owned an investment bank. From that point oh. forward, um, wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. One of the people that I used to work with on Wall Street got into the small business lending space. And I had a lot of capital, didn't know what I was going to do. So I started to lend my money off my own personal balance sheet to small businesses throughout the country to help them grow. Um, flash forward, 2020 happens not really sure where the economy is going, right? Don't know if I could actually lend to small businesses with my own money because they're going out of business. Plus, couple on the fact that the government's giving money out for free, right? It don't really yeah. work. So I sat down and I really realized that, you know, small business owners, yeah, it's great. We can write them a check, but where do they go next? What do they do with that money? So one of our missions over here is to give small business owners all the tools and resources that corporate America has, right? We right. don't just write a check. We stick with you and help you grow along the way. Because at the end of the day, they needed more than just a check. Yeah. Hey, we so often find that, right? That the, the structure that comes along with the idea. I, that, you know, that's where I spend my time as you talk to these entrepreneurs. They have a, a great idea, great product. They're, they're fulfilling a need in the marketplace. But then it, it's really getting that traction, building on that execution to take it to the next level is, is where it can be challenging. And and just because you've got that, it doesn't mean you've got all the rest of those tools that, that required to get there. But I do have to say that it, it, it does sound a little bit like Boiler Room there when I when I heard it really on going on, like some of that stuff. I know that movie is a, is a fictionalized and a bit of an exaggeration, but that, was that what that start was like for you? 100%. I 
probably dialed the phone about five to 600 times a day. It was a boardroom full of guys, probably the size of about a football field, right? Yeah. You didn't know what the hell a stock was when I got started. I was handed the script and told to get on the phone, kid. Yeah. <laughs> What's a stock? Barry Rapkin goes to me. That was the manager at the time. He goes, it's something that uh, blinks red and green on your screen. We'll get to that in the next, in the next chapter. So yeah, but truth yeah, of the matter right. is everybody says that and thinks that, but every boardroom back then, every trading floor looks like that. doesn't matter Correct. if you're at Goldman Sachs or Merrill Lynch, right? Or you were at a firm like I was at. Now, yes, the firm that I actually started at, it was GBI Capital. They actually wound up getting bought out by one of the oldest companies on the New York Stock Exchange, right? Right. So, yeah. so I mean, it, I mean, and it's a tough start. Well, and and for for a lot of folks, just flat out cold calling it doesn't really matter what it was. I, I started my career doing some cold calling, just different space. So wh- whether it's a selling a stock or whatever product you're selling up there, it's a good way to learn and to figure out what you're all about. With with no connections and not being born with a silver spoon in my mouth, I didn't have another choice, right? So I right. built a $150 million book of business just on the back of cold calling the top 1% of business owners in this country. And if awesome. you want to learn, that's the fastest way to learn. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, Lou, let me flip over to you. Uh, so Lou, you'd you love to get just a little bit of, of your background here, lifelong New Yorker. I won't hold that against you, but you know, we'll let you go through and tell us a little bit about what's... Uh, no. I'm from New England, Lou, so we'll, we'll get there later. You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to carry that around. So just give us a little bit of, uh, of your background, how you got there, and then how did you guys get paired up? I think that's also would be an interesting uh, part of the journey. Yeah, so you, you're, you're right about Matt. He was definitely running a boiler room. I got to, you, if you would have knocked on your chest to walk in there. But it was, it was a great business, and it was, it was, it was apropos for the time. Yeah. Uh, Scott, you've heard my story a million times, right? It was the uh, firstborn uh, immigrant family. Um, there was a huge, huge uh, dimension to, to, to being educated because you weren't going to like, you weren't going to, you know, change transmissions into um, prosperity, right? Or, or you, you weren't going to uh, haul um, cement uh, wheelbarrows. So you, you, you have to find a way to access that sort of prosperity for the second generation. So um, that was it. Uh, went to college, went to graduate school, and from going to uh, law school. Um, Matt and I met in the canyons of Wall Street. We, uh, we were lucky enough to be friends before we became partners. And I think maybe that helps us a little bit. Also, we are the, the perennial odd couple. We're very, very different. Um, but I think the reason it works is because we have a, a mutual respect of each other and of, the, of each other's skills. Like I cannot yeah. do what Matt does. And I don't think Matt can do what I do. At least it would take us a long time to figure it out. And we'd have to do some soulful introspection in changing our internal methodologies. Um, so that, that one-two punch in helping uh, our clients and running a business um, does help us. But look, you're, you're an expert with EOS, so you know the whole... Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's a, my brain's going down that path, right? I've, yeah. I'm talking to a visionary integrator here. That is the EOS, EOS language that, that we utilize, right. right? That visionary, Matt's the idea guy. He's always thinking about what we're going to do next. And what are those things that are going on out there? And okay, why don't we go this angle, that angle? And then Lou comes in and is like, wait a second, Matt. Like, we actually have to execute. Day, but 19 of them are not, you can't <laughs> scale on the computer. But keep thinking of it, keep thinking of it. Yeah, yeah. But you're the governor, right? You have to govern that engine that he's running and running so fast and say, okay, we actually have to put this into practice and we've got to identify what we've got for resources and, and push forward. You know, um, sometimes friendships don't work out well. On, on the business side. So yeah, I like that, that there's this yin and the yang there, but have there been moments during your relationship where 
there has been some some healthy conflict, if you will, that's allowed you to, you know, realize something or been able to to be a positive as opposed to what it can happen sometimes with a friend dynamic in a, in a company. I'm going to answer this question without even looking at Matt's facial uh, expressions, but I'm going to give you an honest no. And there's a reason for that. We are brutally honest with each other, like brutally, like worse than siblings. Like I did something not so great a couple of days ago and he just called me out on it. He goes, bro, you shouldn't have done that. What's wrong with you? Come on, get a good night's sleep, figure it out, get yourself together. And the same thing with him. Like if Matt does not read his emails, right? He's a visionary. Visionaries don't read emails. An email, read your email. But be perfect. Yeah, but 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 because we can be so brutally honest with each other, we don't get offended because we see the vision. The vision is we want to help clients, we want to make money. And I really hope this doesn't sound highbrow, but we were really trying to elevate the discourse in the small business community. I mean, a lot a lot of what happens similar to what you're trying to do. You're trying to coach, you're trying to scale businesses. The discourse is rather parochial. And we're trying to elevate it in not only the services that we offer, but in how we offer them and how we scale them, right? Look, I, Matt and I can't afford to, to speak to 50 clients a day, right? We, we can't, right? So right. you try to build a team around you that shares those, those values, right? You, you respect the clients, respect their businesses. And Scott, the three of us have something in common. The small business owner is his, his or her day is filled from morning till night doing mundane operational tasks. So a lot of the stuff that we offer, they just want to delegate it to someone that they can trust and forget about. Yeah. And, and you're spot on and exactly what we, we're, we're trying to do as well, right? So yeah, we're, we're speaking the same language here, maybe using uh, some, some different terminology around the edges, but that is exactly right. Uh, the small business owner gets into something with, with a real purpose or, or passion behind it and it can easily get distracted from that when stuff happens like all day long. So we, we, we use a, we, we let's say that every small business is faced with 136 issues simultaneously coming out of it is how do you get that organized and get your arms around that? And what is the structure that, that you're using? Obviously we talk about EOS as that structure. You guys have got mapped out uh, approach as well for that structure. Let's go back to the formation of the, of the company, right? You, you found this need out there. What was that like when you're just getting started with, with Shield Advisory? You, you, you got together, you, you saw a need, um, but talk to me about the formation days. What, what was going on there in your minds at that time to say, okay, this is a path we want to follow? We, we each did everything. You know, we, we wore multiple yeah. hats. You know, we were mopping the floors, we were answering the phones, <laughs> we were you know, putting the spreadsheets together. I mean, Matt, yeah. Matt's expertise is, is loans and lending. So, I mean, he was underwriting and, and submitting the files himself. I mean, it, these yeah. were Herculean task type days, right? But once the money started coming in, we just bootstrapped and we bootstrapped. We, did, we, didn't, we didn't make money for a long time. We just kept bootstrapping and putting money and, back. And was the funding really the genesis? Was that the need you were trying to fill at the jump? And that, then it's evolved into providing more of that full, full service. And Matt and I talk about this very, very often. Believe it or not, clients... Small business owners tend to think that whenever an issue arises, money is the solution to that issue, okay? So you have to have that in your toolbox 
because they always think that's the tool they need. But oftentimes there are other tools that need it. It's like, why are you operating at a loss? Money's not going to solve that. You know, why are you spending too much on your manufacturing or your overhead? Money's not going to solve that. It's going to create a deeper um, yeah. problem, right? So you have to be able to offer lending when you're in our space because there is a time and place when it's necessary. But oftentimes, Matt and I find ourselves talking clients out of loans simply because, like, I think Matt likes to use the, uh, the, the bucket with a hole in it, right? If you've got a little hole in it, what, what use is me giving you another gallon of water? It's going to seep right through. We need to fix the hole. Then we can give you some water. Yeah, no doubt that execution and making sure that you've got discipline, uh, you've got high accountability with your own project brother. Those those are things that, that we talk about. Sounds like, yeah, same space there, right? If I, if I hand you a bunch of money and you don't know what you're going to do with it or pour it after the, the you know, throwing good money after bad, right? That's not going to get anywhere. So what was the, let's talk about for, for Shield Advisor, you guys coming together, tr trying to grow this thing. Um, inevitably, you're going to hit some roadblocks along the way. Tell me about one of the, the, the toughest blocks or toughest, we call them hitting the ceiling, but one of those toughest spots that you came to and what was something that you did to really get around it, get through it and, and continue to grow what, what, you, what you're trying to build here? So one thing when we started the company is uh, we, me, me and Luigi never wanted employees. I didn't want them again. When I ran my investment bank, I had 80 different, 80 employees that worked for us. And um, I couldn't get anything done, you know? When you're running a business like that, you're their banker, their therapist, their mommy, their daddy at times, right? Especially sure, when you're yeah. dealing with people in their 20s and 30s and still trying to figure their lives out. So when I left, one of the reasons I got in the money lending space was I really didn't need anybody. I could just rely on myself, have one or two people that I work with, and that's it. I run my business almost passionately, right? Yep. The difference is that's when I was just lending money. But when you need to be on the phone with clients and walk them through and care about their business, it was a point in time that we knew we had to make some strategic hires, right, to grow the business. And we're at the point now that, you know, we're growing pretty quickly at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if we, we, we have 25, 30 people in the next 12 months right, that are with us. Um, but one way that we're growing that's a little bit different than most is Instead of us sitting down and trying to figure everything out, we do a lot of joint ventures with other experts in the space to bring other products and resources to our clients, right? So, and they all work underneath the shield umbrella, okay? Um, which also allows us to grow almost organically too, because by cross-selling our products and services to their, like accountants, CPAs, are our sure, yeah. biggest joint venture clients in the country right now, you know? They bring us clients. We give them our clients if they're the fit. If somebody needs a local guy in Cleveland, we have a local guy in Cleveland. If somebody needs more of a high level CFO service, we have CFO clients too as well. The one need that they all have is that most of their clients need money at times and they're not bankers. They don't understand how the lending process works and they have nowhere to help them out. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to be that trusted advisor to the client. That's why the JVs work pretty well for us nice. overall, but internally, yeah, within the next 12 months, we'll have 25 to 30 people that work yeah. in-house with us. 
Well, those people issues become become lose issues. Those those become lose. Lou gets to take those on. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. they, are, they, are, they, they do become our issues. Like, a, yeah. To answer your question, one one of the challenges we're having today is we, we try to offer a wide spectrum of services and programs to clients simply because um, whenever you're on the phone with a client, you want to find that right hole for their cylinder, right? So, um, yeah. so you want to make certain that it fits. But when you're nurturing and growing a sales team, is it practical to train a sales team on 15 different products? Or do you develop these niche specialists? And we found that it really depends on the person. I mean, there are some people okay. that, are, that are generalists. You like to focus on a lot of different things, know enough to figure it out. But if there's a loan question, we go to the underwriter. If there's a tax question, we go to the CPA. Um, other people um, aren't generalists. They're more niche type people. So, you know, we'll have a couple of people only working on tax credits and a few people only working on lines of credit because trying to broaden that spectrum too wide is just going to put a monkey wrench in the, in the work. So that's, that's, a, that's a, something that I try to identify on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, just, just a question for you, Matt, as you're thinking about this, and may, maybe it applies to you as well, Lou, what, you know, oftentimes a challenge and, and when you're, you're, you're a founder and you want to keep your arms around it, it might even mention, I didn't want to have employees anymore. So you get the chance to keep your arms around everything that's going on, but inevitably, as you expand, you do have to let go a little bit. You have to delegate so that you can stay focused on, on the big matters. Have you had, have you found yourself having any challenges with letting go of certain things as you brought in that expertise? Is this something that, um, well, you see it in yourself, and then ultimately I'm sure you see it in your clients as well. I know, I know we do. So I want to talk about that, that delegation, letting go of the vine is a phrase that we use where you, you let go of that and let, let someone go, let someone uh, take it on. Go ahead, yeah, that's a great book, the E Myth, letting go of the vibe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, honestly, no, I don't have any problems with that. Honestly, I give people a little too much slack, right? That's my issue, right? Because I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to be your daddy. I don't want to micromanage you. I'm going to give you clear directions on what to do. Here's the ball, but let's see what you can do. But I think one of the biggest problems in small business right now is let's work on your business instead of in your business. Okay. 100%. Yep, 100%. You have every coach and every guru stating this, and I think there is a point where that can happen, but I think people try to do it way too prematurely, right? Mm -hmm. And they're trying to delegate every single thing out, and they don't even know what the hell's going on with their business, right? So they think they can go on vacation for three weeks, they come back when they really, look, if you're not doing at least $500,000 a year, you're still at a hobby, right? From yeah. that point on, to delegate responsibility and build a business, you have to make key hires around you that can grow. Because let's face it, what is it, like 90% of businesses in this country don't even do a million dollars in gross revenue a year, right? So in order to get to that level, yes, you need to hire people, but you still have to overlook the business and know how everything's working. Because if you don't do that and that key hire leaves you, and you have no idea what the hell is going on in that marketing department, and you don't know about email communications or Facebook ads, where's your next move? Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't thought of it that way, of folks letting go too quickly. Um, but but maybe part of that myth is that there is a way that you can just you know put it in the hands and be that absentee CEO. There, there's certainly a promise has been made. Um, when I bought it to, to my business, it was, it was a franchise, and that was the model that was promised, and you know that was dispelled 
rather quickly that that is actually not the way that that works. Um, and you, you know, if you don't learn it firsthand, you learn it pretty quickly thereafter that that is not a way that you can operate as you're getting something up and off the ground. Scott, that's um, actually the so, perfect example, right? What, yeah. does a fr- what does a good franchisor do, right? Yeah. He need perfects that the model, right? That that first model has to be perfected. And maybe it's two locations, maybe it's five locations. But once it's perfected, then you can release it and do a copy and paste. But until it's perfected, you have to release those reins very, very slowly. Yeah, I know it's tempting, right? And, and, and you see it time again. I, I work with um, a couple of franchisees. I am one myself. So I, I've seen it kind of from all the different angles here. And and it's tough. And there is this promise of, from someone that's looking to sell franchises, right? There's this promise of, oh, you'll make a bunch of money as these franchisees buy in. But just it can also tarnish what you what you set out to do from the get-go. And uh, that we, we that was the story that, that we went through in, in building our own business and 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 going through that. And now it's been through a couple of owners and no one can get some around it. So what's uh, ended up happening is we have this franchise that is a local business, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we, we pay this fee, but at the end of the day, we're running it, we're making a go of it and and frankly doing pretty well with it. But it's we, we, there's not a, a model to follow per se. We're having to figure it out as we go. And it's in an industry uh, that neither my wife and I have any background in, but hey, we're, we're, you know, I say we, she's doing 99% of figuring it out, but you know, she, she has figured it out and, and made a go of it through some, through some blood, sweat and tears. To, and, uh, that's always I, part I, of the I, journey. I, I see that all the time and I see it a lot in the restaurant space or the quick mm. service space. Right. Okay. And th- yeah. that's a tough one too, because some of these franchise fees are very high in the six figures. Right. Yeah. But then you have the build out and you have the lease. So you can oh, spend yeah. 500,000 to 600,000, get something built out. And I see a lot of professionals, maybe a lot of doctors and a lot of dentists tend to do this. I'm just going to go buy a franchise and it'll run itself. I don't think that's the case. You need that hands-on uh, experience because what we wind up seeing is this person, person A just built this out after a year and a half, two years, they're burnt out. They don't have the time to do it. They're losing money in in, in their bread and butter business because they're focusing too much on this business. And the reason I know this is because I went through it myself, right? Yeah. I tried it and I actually did a business with my father and I'm like, listen, I'm losing too much money over here, focusing over here. It just, it's not working for me, right? So we yeah. have to close it down. And <laughs> I also see with our clients because they'll spend 600,000 between the build out, the franchise fee, right? The employees, everything, the whole nine yards, right? Two years later, they're selling that business for pennies on a dollar or at a fire sale. I mean, they'll put it up for 600000 but they'll never get that. So they wind right. up taking $300,000 for it, cutting their losses. Just to get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've been there. So I did the same thing, opened two and had one that had to go the way of the dodo bird, right? That was like not going to happen. We've kept the other and now we're trying to work our way back through the, the second location. Mine is in the haircut and color business. So yes, okay. bald guy with a haircut shop. You know, <laughs> no, I, you know, I wasn't even going to touch it all no. the time. <laughs> hey, look, it, it's, I, haven't, I haven't been in a haircut shop except for the one I own in 30 years, but there, there you go. Right? I, you know, whether it's barbershop or salon, I, I go there because I own one, not because I need one. Uh, this one, yeah. What, what can you say? Hey, Lou, I want to just pivot back a little bit. You said something and, and Matt, so you talk about expanding. As you've expand it out on what you can do for your clients and try to help them beyond just getting them the dollars to to meet whatever need they have in the short term. Have you found yourself going outside of really your core focus 
was going to be and, and as it served as a distraction or have you been able to expand it in a way that it's all fit within this is the the what we're going to bring to to our clients uh, so any uh, we call them bright shiny objects but have you have you chased something because a client asked you to and you're like shouldn't have done that right that that, that was just, that was a distraction for what we're it trying to accomplish much something a client asked us to do um in the pursuit of constantly adding products and services to our tool belt um, we may have tried to offer a service that was not our core competency and yep. we immediately pulled back and said, all right, meet me, bye-bye, you know, bye-bye, yeah. Roadrunner. So we're, we're, we're pretty good at admitting we're wrong and just pivoting back right away. Like we're not going to double down if we see it's not working. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and good to be, to be able to do that. Was there something from a financial side that you saw that there or was it just, uh, was, was it too much time taken up? Because you can get, get yourself in real trouble as a business owner if you do try to respond or do something that is not core. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, I just threw some dollars and time at, at this thing. So you know, what was that thing that realized? There, there are certain businesses and there are certain services that are just not scalable. Like, like we've, we've never seen a Fortune 500 law firm. And we never will. Yeah. You can't scale those businesses. Right, they're, they're, they're too top heavy with, with, with professional fees and they're too top heavy with real estate costs. And yes, you see large law firms and you see these niche law firms, but you're never gonna see a Fortune 500 law firm. And there's a lot of other ancillary white yeah. club services that are just not scalable because they're too niche, they're too intricate. Now on a one-off basis from a consulting perspective, fantastic but it may be difficult to try to scale it in, in using our model. So, you know, we, we kind of have like those, that two-prong approach with a client where a client may hire us for a very strategic purpose. They need to consummate an acquisition. They're, they have a geographic expansion. They hire us. We assist them with the geographic expansion and like two assassins, we're in, we're out. Have a wonderful day. Congratulations. However, um, if we're trying to scale a product, um, a tax credit or a loan or a line of credit or anything like that, um, Matt and I sit down very carefully and we, we go through the nooks and crannies on how we can 10X that, 100X that, 1,000X that. Yeah. I wonder if that will change with law firms with the the new law that allows um, them to be owned not, not by lawyers. So there are new law passed that uh, it'll, you can it'll, actually- It'll never, it'll never change. Do you want to be a yeah. partner with a lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> Soccer. No, you could say it. My father, uh, my father was was an attorney. And he, that's one thing he told me. He said, "Don't go to law school." I said, okay, "Is that yeah, a federal law?" Because that's the first I've heard of that. Is that a federal law? I know it's a law in the state of Arizona. I, I thought it was federal law. Look, I'm not, I'm not an expert here, so I'm okay. the last one to to be able to espouse on that. But I, I do know in the state of Arizona, it varies, at least, it varies by state. Okay. Yeah, state of Arizona now allows for law firms to be owned by non-attorneys. So this, uh, we, so Shield, Shield Advisors LLC started in the last quarter of 2020. We're doing over eight figures in revenue right now, right? Um, yep. In order for us to scale and go to the next level, that's why we need to bring on more teams. But however, right. there's also look, we're not the cheapest guys on the block, and we're never going to be. We're very good at what we do. Know where our yeah. times work, right? But in order for us to scale, we use technology, right? And we're building out a software platform that will be at a lesser, you'll have everything that you get with us, but you just don't get to work with us directly. And a lot of the right. stuff will be through artificial intelligence that 
team from us that we're building. Got it. Right. And that will be an add on to our business. The other way that we've been able to grow is by leveraging joint ventures, right? Or buying into other pieces of companies, right? Okay. So, get, get it, get it. Uh, so, I did want to talk briefly about the, your book that, that you released. Um, I guess it was earlier this year, Buying the American Dream, uh, yep. that, that you guys that come out. In, and it's an interesting thought. And, and I just gonna want, want to talk to this concept. I've talked about it with a couple of other guests along the way. So, Gino Wickman, who wrote Traction and, and is the founder of, of EOS, he firmly believes that entrepreneurs are born, not made. That That is his firm belief. Like it takes a certain type of fortitude, right? A certain type of internal, uh, within your core belief that you can make a go of this. There's lots of people that own businesses, but are they entrepreneurs in the truest sense of the word? His belief, you know, it's, and I, you know, he has that. But I love to ask that question of you. You guys are taking a little bit different premise, right? That, that the American dream is to own a business. This is what everyone should be about, even as a side hustle. So, just walk me through your your thought process around having that as as the approach first. Perhaps what Gino is obviously lifelong entrepreneur has built m- multiple companies and, uh, and and enjoyed some great success and is very much a leader in the entrepreneurial space. Just love to get your perspective on that, Matt. I'll let you take this one because we have slightly differing opinions here. So I probably fall into the Gino Wickman camp a little bit, mm-hmm. considering. Yeah. I've never had a salaried job in my life. I worked at Macy's for one hour. Everything was only commission, <laughs> all day right. from that point yep. forward, right? Um, I'm in that eat what you kill camp, right? Okay. Yep. Um, because I'm in that camp and I believe so strongly in that, I don't want to rely on anybody else ever having to write me a paycheck. So I need to be resourceful. Now, we do joint ventures. We buy a lot of businesses. Right. But if I was starting out right now as my 18 year old self, right, I would look to purchase a business that's already established. Right. Okay. This way, once that, if you know the business is established, it's got processes, teams in place, a professionally managed business, right? Where the owner can go away for a month, two months, or three months. Right. And the business is still running. Okay. Not a franchise. Totally different because a franchise, you're still starting a business in a new territory. It's an established business out there, right? Yep. Um, I think that is better than starting a business. I don't. I think entrepreneurship right now is the cool and style thing. Like when I was younger, it really wasn't. We all wanted to be athletes or rock stars or rappers, <laughs> right? I think entrepreneurship's evolved. I think there is no more job security out there from where my parents were, and I've seen it firsthand with my dad being laid off at times. Um, I don't think, I think with the way technology is evolving, there's going to be less and less jobs out there. I think we're moving to an investor-based society in the next 15 to 20 years. And I think the best way to invest is to own your own business and control the cash flow. So you always have money coming. Love it. Love that. Love that perspective. Little, little anything different or that, that you'd uh, put a twist on that? Yeah, sure. Um, Scott, there, there are huge macroeconomic tidal waves at play here, and you're never going to surf against a tidal wave, right? So so you've got um, baby boomers that are retiring, and unfortunately, you have baby boomers that are dying, right? And a lot of these baby boomers were entrepreneurs and small business owners. So these businesses will either fall by the wayside or will be gobbled up by um, that next generation of zestful entrepreneurs, right? Mm. Um, 
you also have a change in corporate mentality where if somebody came out of business school or law school, you probably go work in the 70s for IBM or GE and you put in your 35, 40 years, retire with your 401k and get a really nice Rolex watch. I don't know of any company that has 40-year tenure at this point, let alone yeah. last for 40 years. I mean, Apple is probably the cat's meow in the market and it's 15 years old soaking wet. So yeah. um, there's just huge, huge socioeconomic trends. So the book was piggybacking on the new mindset, the new gig economy uh, and meeting those socioeconomic trends. So um, yeah, it's, it's the future. Matt's right. Uh, people are definitely acquiring small businesses at a higher rate than we've ever seen. And just to go back to Gino's notion, um, Matt is probably right. I'm a little bit severe because I like to cubbyhole people in little boxes, right? Um, the entrepreneurial personality requires a great deal of persistence and tenacity, whether that's born or inculcated to us in loving by loving parents. I don't know. You know, we're, we're not psychotherapists. And we don't want to be. We just know that it takes a very specific mindset in running a business. And that's what Matt and I look for. We look for good operators. And yeah, usually a good operator has a certain skill, whether you're an electrician, a paver, a candlestick maker, whatever your trade is, you should be good at your trade. And then operationally, you need to be a little bit thick in the skin because yeah. sheep happens when you're in business. Yeah. 100%. And, and there, there's no doubt. Actually, ironically, as you were talking about that, that, that that's where Gino has pivoted. Where, where he's going now is the mindset of the entrepreneur. So he's really going down this path, right? He, he's no longer actively involved in the day-to-day -day operations around EOS um, and, and has, is taking it to the next level, continuing his journey on understanding entrepreneurialism and, and what it takes to, to make a go of it. Because you, you do have to have that that strength, that fortitude, that that self-belief, because you're going to get faced with, with, with stuff, right? All day, every day, it's coming at you from from all directions, and you get and as we talked about before we started recording, right? That uh, overnight success story that takes eight, ten, twelve years, right? You gotta fight through all of those tough moments, break through those ceilings, and and get to the to the next level. Um, just one last time on your book called "Buying uh, the American Dream," uh, worth checking out for any entrepreneur, right? Really give give get a sense of of what that's like and and the, and the role that you guys can help them play in that. So. Um, Let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit. Let's get to know you guys a little bit. I got five fast questions for each. I'm going to ask the question, get an answer from each. Uh, so I, I hesitate with this first one because I have a feeling I know where it is, but uh, do you have a favorite sports team or athlete? I'll start with you, Matt. Favorite sports team or athlete? Not really a sports team. More of, um, I'm more of an athlete guy, right? Okay. And it's it's going to be Jordan, right? I yeah. really like Michael Jordan. We found He's Common a pioneer. Grant. Yeah. Right. We, we, we three found billion Common Grant. <laughs> no, no doubt. That's where I grew up. I was a ch child of the 80s, and, and uh, Michael was the man. So uh, that's mine. How about you, Lou? Uh, I, I went, team I'm a uh, European football fan. You know, the round really? ball, not the oval ball. Yeah, no, that's right. I had to give Good. you a team. It's uh, it's probably Juventus. Juventus is Juventus. an old, uh, they, they call the old lady of European football. Right. Kind of like the, the, the Yankees of, of soccer. Serie A, is that right? Yeah, Do I have that correct? Ah, okay. You know your football. I, I mean, I know, I know a little bit. I like said sports fan on there. All right, um, start with you this time, Luke. What would you eat if it was the last meal you'd ever have the chance to eat? Huh? 
the last meal. It's it's no guilt. I have to remind you. Yeah, yeah, no, this, this, you don't have to worry about it. The this next is day. Where, this is where Matt and I really, really differ because uh, <laughs> I'm a big seafood, lettuce, uh, salad guy. Uh, and Matt is, is like, uh, you know, steak and potatoes guy. So I'd probably have sure. I'd, I'd have sushi. Okay. All right, Matt. That's a good question. I don't know. My daughter asked me this the other day, what's your favorite food? I go, it really depends yeah. what I'm in the mood for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like ah, so many different things. I had a guest earlier that said cereal, any sugar cereal I can get my hands on, right? Because they get takes you back to your childhood when you can eat that stuff and can't eat it anymore. Yeah, I like a nice veal chop. Okay. All right. Lou, I, I mean, I just thought Lou was going to be go Italian on me, but he went sushi, so he just threw, threw me. Threw me nah, off. Nah. Um, Matt, do you have a dream vacation spot? Uh, either maybe you'd like to get back to if you've already been to that dream or something that's that's out there on the bucket list. So I, I actually travel a decent amount. Um, there's so many on the bucket list, but I ran with the Bulls in Spain last year. That was awesome. So I would definitely... Wow. I definitely Pretty do that cool. again. And then we're yeah. going to Thailand this year. We got back from Italy. We spent a month in Italy in July. Um, I think um a dream I wanna I wanna climb Kilimanjaro. How about that? Nice. Nice. How about you? Blue, what do you got? Dream vacation spot. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Emerald Coast in Sardinia. Uh beautiful <laughs> waters. I'm a beach bum. Beautiful waters. And I like to sail. And it's really, really challenging sailing there because the cross currents and the winds are not the faint of heart. So if you could sail there, it's kind of like a little bit of uh, internal badge of courage. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, Lou. Favorite uh movie that you like to rewatch? Uh, or if you don't have one of those, uh, I'll take a, a TV streaming show. But do you have a favorite rewatchable? From number one all the way to the one from a couple of years ago, every single James Bond. Really? My wife teases nice. me whenever like I'm bored and I need to like veg out after a tough day, she'll find me in the living room watching yeah. James Bond movie. Yeah. I, I do the same, but with Seinfeld. And my <laughs> wife actually said to me yesterday, she goes, is it on all the time? I said, well, it's on Netflix. So What's yeah, this? I just What's pop it on and whatever. I'm it's the same thing with worse suits. That tongue in cheek. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Matt, what do you have for a favorite a rewatchable or maybe a streaming show? Again, man, this so, it depends on the mood. <laughs> There's so many. Like twenty year old me would have said Scarface, right? Okay. Um yeah. me now I would probably say something more like one once upon a time in America is a great movie. I don't know, okay. it's an old one. I don't know if many people see that. All right. And all right, so let's wrap up. Um favorite quote or piece of advice that you lean on. So Lou, get us started. What do you got a favorite quote or piece of advice? Oh, Matt, Matt teases me all the time. So I'm always quoting like the oldies, but uh, one that comes to mind, Winston Churchill had this great saying, and you know, he was always had this great turn of phrase where if you're 20 years old and you're not a bleeding heart liberal, you have no heart. But if you're 40 years old, and you're not a conservative, you have no brain. Lou took us down a road there. That's that's a new that's another podcast. Lou, we'll have to we'll have to put that one on the side. It's a whole whole different show. Uh, Matt, what do you got? Quote, piece of advice, something that you lean on. Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena. It's a long quote. I'm not going through it. Yeah, it's not the critic yeah. that counts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that was the name of the Tom Brady special. I know you guys enjoy a little Tom Brady time. So we'll, 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 we'll wrap it up there. 
Gentlemen, great to have you both on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate that. And obviously, we're, we're talking a lot to, this, to the same folks and, and sharing that in common as well. So uh, great discussion there. Uh, where is a great place to find you? Where should the audience go to? How can they check, check out what you're doing and, and get to know you more if they'd like to? So our podcast is called The Liquid Lunch Project. Um, every major podcast network out there, Apple, Spotify, you can find us at shieldadvisorygroup.com. Instagram, the Liquid Lunch Project, um, or shieldadvisorygroup.com. We're pretty available on a lot of the socials. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Lou, you want to point us anywhere? No, I just wish everybody a happy new year. It's a great yeah, podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks both for being on. Uh, check out their podcast as well, and I'll speak on their behalf and mine. Um, if you listen, right, you know, tap it, rate it. Give it a review. Uh, it sure helps uh, all of us that are in this podcasting space out a little bit. Uh, it, it is part of it, and we greatly appreciate anyone who does take the time to listen and review. So thanks to you both for coming on. Check out their show, and uh, really enjoyed the conversation, gentlemen. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich.com at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast.